So, Lord God, we ask that in the name of Jesus and through the power of your Holy Spirit, you would help us to preach. Amen. I, I told you a few weeks ago that my perfect worship song was four-point Bardian Calvinism set to music that sounded just like Led Zeppelin. Remember? That, that was the Led Zeppelin part. When I hear that jumbled interlude in Whole lot of Love, I can't help but smile. And when the drums come in and the electric guitars start whining and all the music begins to play and, and Robert Plant starts singing, I just can't help sometimes but shout for joy. I mean, I'll be like at a traffic light, you know, in my, in my truck listening to Led Zeppelin. People look at, what is, what is with that guy? And I don't even need to hear the second part when it all comes together. I mean, just the sound of Robert Plant screaming, love, and then the lightning sound and the, and the cymbals clashing. And, and then when the, 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 the drum starts, I mean, I, I, I don't even have to hear the second part. My heart is already rejoicing in what I know will soon happen. It may not have the same effect on you because you didn't grow up listening to Led Zeppelin, and so you don't appreciate great music. <laughs> but, but maybe you're into the Beatles. That's the sound of chaos turning into order as all the sounds in the interlude come into harmony with each other and the rhythm, the logic, or the logos of, of the song. That's the sound of musicians in an orchestra not waiting to toot their own horn, like we talked about last week. Not waiting and learning what notes not to toot in, in the future. Last week we said this fallen world is a lot like that sound, but if you're a fan of the symphony, you'll start smiling at just the sound of all those discordant notes because you know that all those discordant notes are about to give birth to this.
Last week when I listened to that video, watched that video for the first time in preparation for last week's sermon, sitting at my desk, I just started sobbing. And then I wanted to shout for, for joy, not because I'm into classical music, but because, you see, it tapped into this outrageous hope in the depths of my soul, this hope that all the discord, disharmony, and chaos in this world is not being wasted, but is about to give birth to a new creation, just as an orchestra tuning their instruments is about to give birth to Beethoven's Fifth Symphony. That's what we preached on last time. That when we wait on the Lord, the orchestra conductor in the sanctuary of our souls, he puts a new song in our mouth. A new song that is integral, unique, and irreplaceably a part, an irreplaceable part of the eternal new song, the symphony that constitutes the kingdom of heaven. And that kingdom is outrageously happy. Psalm 33 verse 1. Shout for joy in the Lord. Not, not about the Lord, but in the Lord. Shout for joy in the Lord, O you righteous. Praise befits the upright. Give thanks to the Lord with the lyre. Make melody to Him with the harp of ten strings. Uh, sing to Him a new song. Play skillfully on the strings with loud shouts. Now that, that sounds so dorky, right? Maybe we play skillfully on the strings with loud shouts. Sounds sounds so dorky that either everyone was extremely dorky 3,000 years ago or we're struggling with the translation a, a, a bit. Shout for joy is one word in Hebrew, renan, also translated sing, exult, uh, rejoice. It's a word that shows up all over the uh, Old Testament. It's what you can't help but doing when everything comes together, like when your team wins the Super Bowl, Super Bowl or, or the pretty girl says that she'll go out with you, or all the discordant notes come together in a great crescendo of rock and roll heaven as Robert Plant sings about a whole lot of love. And granted, he was probably singing about a whole lot of something else, but Scripture claims that even that, the physical communion between male and female, is a picture of Christ and the church. And like we saw in the Revelation, the new Jerusalem is a bride that just cannot stop singing and shouting for sheer joy. This word, Renan, it appears throughout all the, the, the Psalms and extensively in Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 66, Isaiah prophesies, Your dead shall live. Their bodies shall rise. You who dwell in the dust, awake and run on. Shout for joy. The earth will give birth to the dead. The Raphaim, the ghosts. Shout for joy, for the earth will give birth to the dead like an orchestra tuning their instruments is about to give birth to Beethoven's Fifth Symphony. That English word symphony comes from the Greek word symphonia. Sim or sin is a prefix meaning together, and phone means sound or, or tone. The word symphonia appears once in Scripture. You know where it appears? It's the sound coming out of the party in the father's house because the prodigal son has returned from the far country. You may remember that the older brother doesn't like the sound of the symphonia, the music. 
Symphoneo is a verb usually translated agree. Like, it means like harmonize. Jesus said, if two of you, symphoneo, agree on anything, I'll do it for you. And that makes sense when you consider that Jesus is the logos, or the logic of God, the Word of God that creates and sustains all things. Uh, for the ancient Greeks, logos meant something like the harmonious purposiveness of the world. And I'm quoting a scholar there, the harmonious purpose, purposiveness of, of the world. Remember, God spoke or sang all of creation into existence. Word is logos in Greek, and devar in, in Hebrew also translated thing. <laughs> For the Hebrews, a word was a thing. It was a matter, of a thing. Jesus is the rhythm, logic, and harmony of the symphony that is ultimate reality, the centelia of all things. Greek and Hebrew have all these cool words that get translated out in, in English. Um, scripture has... Uh, Words like this, like, like syntelia. In, in Greek, telos means end or perfection. And syntelia means ended or perfected together. Telos is perfection. Sin is together. Syntelia, perfected together. In Matthew, Jesus talks about the syntelia of the age. Gets translated into the age, syntelia. Uh, in Hebrews, we read that Christ appeared once for all at the syntelia of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. You see, see, this means that history doesn't just come to an end, a telos, it comes to a syntelia, which means everything is perfected together, like the crescendo of a great symphony, the syntelia of the symphonia. And, and we know the centelia of the symphonia. That's the crazy part. You see, if we have seen Jesus Christ crucified and risen from the dead, we've seen the centelia of the symphonia of all things. Like I said, I start smiling in the middle of a whole lot of love <laughs> at all those discordant notes and all that chaos. I start smiling in the middle of a whole lot of love by Led Zeppelin because I know what's coming in the end. Shout for joy, verse 1, Psalm 33, verse 1. Shout for get stoked, party on, rock out in the Lord, O you righteous. Praise befits the upright. Give thanks to the Lord with the lyre. Make melody to him with your guitars and your synthesizers and all those fancy schmancy instruments. Sing to him a new song. Do your best, do your best, and sing loud. Sing loud, for the word of the Lord is upright, and all his work is done in faithfulness. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. By the word of the Lord, Debar, Lagos, the heavens were made, and by the breath of his, uh, the, the Ruach, the spirit of his mouth, all their hosts. He gathers the waters of the sea as a heap. He puts the deeps to home in, in storehouses. That's a little bit like saying he can put hell in his pocket. And my wife saw something like that once. In verse 5, we read that he loves mishpat. It translates to justice here, but the word means judgment. Then we read the earth is full of hesed. That's mercy, the steadfast love of the Lord. We've been taught that judgment and mercy are like two opposite things. And yet that is profoundly unbiblical. All God's work is done in faithfulness. That means integrity and, and unity. In Psalm 96, we're commanded to Renan, shout for joy, because the Lord comes to judge the earth. 
We think he judges to see who is good and who is bad. But he judges the bad in order to make them good. God's word is God's judgment. Mercy and love and the centelia of the ages. Let all the earth fear the Lord, verse 8. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And then perfect wisdom, who is perfect love, casts out fear, and we all stand in awe of him. The wisdom of God, who freely gave himself for all. Why would you not let all the inhabitants of the earth stand in awe of him? Perhaps because you wanted some of the inhabitants of the earth not to stand in awe of him. Perhaps you have refused to forgive some of the inhabitants of the earth. Perhaps you haven't forgiven your, your enemies. To refuse to forgive is to hate the centelia of the ages. It's to refuse to hear the symphony. It's to hate the kingdom of God. And so, of course, unforgiveness is the unforgivable sin. You have to forgive in order to enjoy the Word of God and all things with Him. The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He frustrates the plans of the peoples. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of His heart to all generations. Ephesians 1.10, a plan for the fullness of time to unite anakephalio, bring together under one head all things in Him according to the purpose of Him who accomplishes all things according to the counsel of His will. The counsel of the Lord stands forever, verse 11. The plans of his heart to all generations. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people whom he has chosen as his heritage. The Lord looks down from heaven. He sees all the children of man, ha-adam, the Adam. Remember we saw this in Ecclesiastes and we saw it in in Genesis. Over and over in Scripture, Scripture refers to uh, the Adam or the man with the definite article. And and English Bibles just kind of like translated it out, translated as man or mankind, but the article means one man, or at least one family. The Lord looks down from heaven. He sees all the children of Ha'adam, the man. From where he sits enthroned, he looks out on all the inhabitants of the earth, he who fashions the hearts of them all. In Hebrew thought, the heart is like the, the inner person, much like the, the nephesh, that's usually translated soul. It's, it's the will. It's that thing that decides. Americans tend to think that they decide the thing that decides. They decide the decider. They, 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 call, they usually call that free will, but in Scripture, God fashions the heart. God judges hearts not to see if they're good or bad. According to Ezekiel, the human heart is already stone. I mean, it's, it's, it's made, of, made of stone, according to Ezekiel. God judges hearts in order to fashion hearts and make them new 
He fashions them all together. Uh, he fashions them all. To, that's what it means. They fashions all. Oh, that's the literal translations. He fashions them all together. And and if you're you're a parent, you you know that to be literally true, right? I have four children. This is Jonathan and Elizabeth caught red-handed, having gotten caught uh, in mom's forbidden makeup bag. Who's guilty? <laughs> and what exactly are they guilty of? Honestly, I could never sort out these situations. I have four kids. All four kids would say, I didn't do it. She did it. He did it. No, I, I did He did it. She did it. Uh, she touched me, but, but, but it was his idea. Paul wrote, God consigned Sincleo. Just like symphonia or centelia, it's the same prefix. It means consigned together or bound together. Romans eleven thirty two. God has bound all together in disobedience, consigned all together to, to disobedience. As he argues in Romans five and first Corinthians fifteen, in Adam all die. Sin came into the world through one, but it spread to all because all sin. Sin is like a viral infection in the body. I never say, my right foot has the flu. My whole body has, has the flu. And you know, we try to judge evil in our courts, but, but our judgments are pathetic, and our, our remedies are even worse, right? They often increase the trespass. I can't sort out an argument between my, my four kids. How could I ever hope to sort out something like World War I or World War II? or any heart in isolation from every other heart. You know, some parents try to isolate their children from other children, but if you isolate a person from other persons, that person never truly becomes a person. For what is a person? If not a history of interconnected relationships. It begins even in the womb, but personhood is manifest through a history of interconnected relationships, a web of interconnected relationships. That's the problem with feral children, children raised in utter isolation. Feral children, they look less like children and more like, like animals. And yet, if you uh, protect your child, uh, well, well that, that's, that's, not, that's not smart. If you expose your child to other people, you expose them to the infection, you expose them to sin, and, and yet persons are not person without a connection to other persons. I'm trying to say verse 15. The Lord fashions the hearts of them all together. Even better, the Lord fashions the heart. The Hebrew word is singular. The Lord fashions the heart of them all together and observes all their deeds. That's one heart, but many deeds. Verse 16, the king is not saved by his great army. A warrior is not delivered by his great strength. The war horse is a false hope for salvation, and by its great might it cannot rescue. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him and those who hope in his steadfast love, his hesed, that he may deliver, save uh, their, their soul. That's singular soul. We're talking about saving one soul that he may save their soul from death and keep them alive in famine. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. For our heart 
is glad in him because we trust in his holy name. Let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us even as we hope in you. Did you notice that the psalm reads, our soul, our plural, soul singular, rather than our souls. And it reads, our heart, rather than our hearts. The psalmist seems to think that we all have one heart and one soul. Some may argue that that's idiomatic, that is, that it's a manner of speaking, but what if it's not just a manner of speaking, but a manner of thinking? It turns out that, that heart is almost always, or hearts, when you read hearts, whenever you read hearts, plural in the Old Testament, it's almost always, or as far as I could find, singular in the Old Testament Hebrew, even though we translate it as plural in English Bibles. Souls is sometimes plural in Hebrew, but on at least three occasions, my English Bible changes the singular to a plural because I guess it just makes more sense to us Westerners. But here in Psalm 33, for some reason, the, the translators translate both words literally. Our soul and our heart as if we have one heart and one soul. See, that's not simply a manner of speaking. That's a manner of thinking. The Hebrew mind thought of humanity as, as a whole. Ha-adam, the man. And it certainly thought of groups of persons as, as one person. So God, you know this if you read the Old Testament, God's into judging groups and saving groups like Egypt and Israel and Edom and God chose Israel. God chose Israel. He chose to bless Israel in order that Israel would be a blessing to all the other groups. He said this to Abraham. You are blessed to be a blessing to all the families, all the groups of the earth. The Hebrew mind, to the Hebrew mind, it was absurd to think that part of your family could be endlessly tortured in one place while you experienced endless bliss in another and if some Hebrews didn't seem to think that, that we actually had one heart, their prophets, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, certainly promised that one day we would. Ezekiel 36 and 37, I will give them one heart, says the Lord. I will remove their heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh. You, the whole house of Israel, shall know that I am the Lord when I raise you from your graves and place you in your own land. Jeremiah 24, I will give them one heart and I will plant them in this land in faithfulness with one heart and one soul. One heart, one soul. Maybe his heart, his soul. The soul is the person, a conscious person. Do you know that physicists uh, now talk of, of um, of all people, they, they talk about a collective soul, a collective consciousness. For consciousness is somehow related to quantum realities, and quantum realities are often mysteriously entangled. Einstein called it spooky action at a distance. So thoughts in my brain can be or are mysteriously entangled with the thoughts in your brain. Sorry, sorry about that. <laughs> but they're entangled. And now you don't need a physicist to tell you that. 
Right? You don't need a psychologist or a sociologist or a theologian to tell you that. You know that. Certainly any parent of more than one child knows that. See these two? They are forever entangled. John lives in Seattle and Chile, or Elizabeth lives in Chile, Santiago, Chile. And uh, John would be entirely unrecognizable to you now if it were not for Elizabeth Hyatt. And Elizabeth would be entirely unrecognizable to you if it were not for Jonathan Hyatt and, and a Becky Hyatt and, and a Coleman Hyatt. You see this as a, a parent. The decisions of, of each are forever entangled with the decisions of all. Just as the, the personalities of each are forever entangled with the personalities of all. Because, because John is one way, Coleman is an, another way, and yet they are both the, that one way, that same way, as if they have one heart and one soul. When evil tries to separate souls, all souls suffer together. And when the good brings them back together, all rejoice together, like a body healed of a wound or an infection rejoices and, and might even start to sing, renown, and shout, shout for joy. They're, they're entangled. And I'm entangled. Who is Peter Hyatt? I'm a spirit breathed into dust that uh, has a relationship with these spirits breathed into dust. Or should I say spirit? One spirit breathed into all that dust. Whatever the case, if I never knew these persons, my person would be entirely unrecognizable to you and to me. I am one heart and one soul with these people, whether I like it or not, or whether they like it or not. And I'm one heart and one soul with these people. And now these people are one heart and one soul with other people, or one heart and soul with even more people. You see, I'm one heart and one soul with all these people invited to the wedding feast. I can't enjoy heaven if one of these people is being endlessly tortured in hell, particularly if they're being tortured by our Father. And if I thought I could, then I, of all men, am most depraved. We're one body, whether we know it yet or not. One body with one spirit breathed into the dust making one soul with one heart from the bosom of the Father, and I think his name is Jesus. The way, the truth, and the life. One life. That's not just a manner of speaking, it's called reality. Ephesians 4, verse 4. There is one body and one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Sometimes people say to me, well, if all are ultimately saved, why preach the gospel? Well, how's this for an answer? Why preach, why love, why save? Because you're not saved until all are saved. 
And if you rejoice, if you would rejoice where the least of these suffers in hell, you're rejoicing while Jesus suffers in hell. For whatever you do unto the least of these, you do unto him. And if you would rejoice at the thought of love himself suffering in hell, you of all people are most deeply blinded and trapped by hell, and you need to repent. It means change, change your way of thinking. It's not just a manner of speaking, it's a manner of thinking. Gosh, in English, you know, we don't even have an, a second person plural pronoun except for Texans. So Jesus didn't say, whatever you ask in my name, he said, whatever you all ask in my name. We need to repent. We need to repent. We need to pray, our Father who art in heaven, forgive us our debts, deliver us from you. Have you ever noticed that he says our and us? I didn't even notice that till this week when I was working on the sermon. Us is humanity. Like that unsaved crowd that gathered around him on the hillside that day. When he, when he taught us to pray, forgive us. Our Father, forgive us. Deliver us. Save us. We ask people, who wants to be saved? Who seeks uh, to be saved? And Jesus said, whoever seeks to save his life, his soul, his psyche, whoever seeks to save his life will lose it. Whew. Whoever seeks to save his soul, to seek to save your own soul is to damn it or to lose it. To seek to save your own soul is to damn it, but to pray for our soul is to find it in Jesus, our Lord. And now I'd just love to quote a ton of scripture and make a thousand points about space, time, eternity, evil, and the good, true self, imprisoned in the false self, the nature of Christian freedom, predestination, election, and eschatology. But we just spent a year and a half doing that as we preached our way through the Revelation. So for now, let me just say, I'm not sure that you can be saved unless all are saved. They once asked Abraham Lincoln, who will be saved? And he answered, it's either everyone or no one. Everyone or no one, and I would add perhaps not even Jesus, for he's our head, and, and I, I think he is our heart, and he is most definitely our soul, and we are his body. If any part of his body suffers, even the, the last and the least part of his body, wouldn't he suffer and all of us suffer with it? But the joy of the Lord is my strength. What is the joy of the head? What is the joy of the life? What is the joy of this? What is, what is joy? Well, joy is the symphonia. Uh, joy is the centelia of the ages. It's the feeling I get when everything comes together in perfect harmony and every discordant note is unified with the Logos and by the Logos in an eternally new song of absolute beauty and praise such that I cannot help but shout, Yeah! Hallelujah! Praise God. And you see, even now in this world of discord and pain, I can already smile and sometimes even shout, because I've met the Logos, and so I know what's coming. As in Adam all die, so in Christ will all be made alive. For on the night that he was betrayed, 
by everyone that was invited to the wedding feast. He took bread and he broke it, saying, this is my body given to you, my righteousness given to you, my covering given to you, my wedding garment given to you. I, I, think that's, I think that's what he was saying. And he took the cup and he said, this cup is the covenant in my blood poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Drink of it, all of you, and do it in remembrance of me. Remember me. Joy is a body, healthy and whole, a symphony of members called life. In a healthy body, the joy of one is the joy of all, and the joy of all is the joy of one. And I'm telling you, that's a lot of joy. It multiplies your joy by at least seven billion. And you see, you can shout for joy even now in the Lord because you know that the Lord is in you and soon will be all in all. Our soul waits for the Lord. Our heart is glad in him. Thank you, Ernie. Then sings my soul, then sings our soul, right? Psalm 33, our soul waits for the Lord. Our heart is glad in him. You know, if you sang that every day, prayed that every day, and remember the Psalms, were the hymn book of ancient Israel. It's what they would, they would sing together. If you prayed that every day, perhaps you'd believe it one day. And if you believed it, I think it would change every breath you take and every move you make. I think you would love the Lord your God with all your heart, and it would be a tremendously huge heart, with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength. And I think you would love your neighbor as yourself because you would see, my neighbor is myself. And so, of course, a man nourishes and cherishes his own flesh. That's what Paul wrote, wrote right? <laughs> I mean, I, I think that's what uh, Jesus is saying to me. Peter, one day um, you will love and cherish your own flesh, and you will see that um, uh, yourself is myself, and their self is yourself. And so, of course, you'll want to pray for yourself and love yourself and care uh, for yourself because your neighbor is yourself. You are one soul. There's one God and Father of all who is over all, through all, and in all. In Jesus' name, believe the gospel. Amen. Amen. If you'd like to stay and sing longer, we invite you to worship longer. If you'd like prayer, uh, members of the prayer team will be down front here. This blue ribbon symbolizes the life that flows from the cross. If you'd like to talk with people, we encourage you to go down uh, to the narthex so you can uh, hang out with others and, and, talk, uh, and talk with them. But when we pray for each other, we're praying for our soul. Uh, so um, God bless you, my heart and soul. In Jesus' name, amen. Shine.